Uh, we're going to continue on in our series here with Advent and the, the theme, and so today is joy, right? Joy is the next one that's in the, the series we've been working through, hope and uh, faith, and then now joy. And so uh, if you want to laugh, watch this, J-O-Y. There we go. There you go. That's, that's a laugh. That's not joy, although you're having some fun and you're laughing at me, and that's okay. Uh, I am going to use an acrostic again because I think that's helpful sometimes to remember those things like we did with hope. Um, and this one actually works out because there's, there's three points, right? You know that every sermon has three points. Uh, that's a perfect sermon, supposedly. Um, but I've not done anything perfect yet, and so, but we'll try to work it out three this morning. So anyone want to guess what J stands for? Jesus is always the right answer, right? Come on, we, we learned that a long time ago. You are absolutely correct, Jesus. And so that is our focus. Um, a few weeks ago, we even read that verse, and let's see, PJ's here. Nope. All right, in Romans, that book that she's studying and spending a lot of time in Romans, right? It said, fix your eyes on Jesus, right? And so Jesus is the center point. Jesus is the reason for the season. Jesus is what we're celebrating. We're getting ready to celebrate Christ and Christmas, that focus on Jesus. And again, if you've gone through membership classes at, at Pointway, you know that's a, a huge focus of CMA in general, right? That, that Jesus is everything. And we make an emphasis on that. That's the, the thing that binds us together, right? That's uh, the, the, the road to the cross, but it's also everything that we do is focused on Jesus. And certainly that's an important part of our salvation, it's also an important part of our lives and should be our focal point. So J is for Jesus. So that's kind of like a given in some ways, but not everyone remembers that. And sometimes we get things out of order. And I would subscribe to you that we need to make Jesus first in everything. First in everything that we do and our think and our thoughts and our actions should be Jesus-focused first. So turn with me as we head over to Philippians chapter 4, because there are some other parts to this, not only Jesus, but also to our lives and how we live this out. And so many times I run into people that are, have gotten things out of order or out of balance or struggling, and it's because things are not put into perspective. They're not in the right order, and so when you're out of order, you're out of balance, and when you're out of balance, you don't do well. You kind of limp along, or you like that flat tire, it makes a lot of noise and you don't go very fast and you kind of pull off to the, the side. So as we look at joy here, Philippians was kind of an obvious choice for me, although uh, the word joy is used, if you're a stats person, joy is used over 244 times in the Bible. I think that's important if it's listed that many times. You know, if God says it once, it's important, but if he repeats it, it's because he knows us and we need the lesson, right? And the book of Philippians has it used, Paul uses it 16 times, which is a lot considering that it's a pretty short letter, right? It's only four chapters, it's fairly small, it's concise. Yes, Paul wrote the, the letter of Philippians to the church in Philippi. Uh, he wrote it from prison, uh, certainly not a place that you would think of finding joy, but yet he's encouraging this church to have joy because they were struggling a little bit. They had some problems. They had issues of the day, right? Persecution was coming. They also had, as we'll see, some problems within the church. I know it's hard to believe. 
But sometimes in church, we have issues inside the church four walls. I know, it's hard to believe, but it happens. And so Paul writes this letter, and again, we're looking at it here from the end of it. In chapter 4, it's kind of the wrap-up, and for the sake of this morning, we're going to use just these 13 verses in the end here to kind of work through and to set you up for joy. And hopefully, my brothers, in a way of looking at things. So, chapter 4, verse 1 says, Therefore, my brothers and sisters, you whom I love and long for my joy and crown, stand firm in the Lord in His ways, in this way, dear friends. As Paul's reemphasizing this greeting to them, right? He has a relationship with them. And we know from the history that Paul visited this church multiple times, almost uh, twice for sure on his mission trips and maybe even more times, and he spent considerable time there. This would be one of Paul's churches that he most likely gathered and founded. You can go back through Acts and look that up and read some of the history behind it. But he had a relationship with them a dear relationship with them, and, he, and that relationship helped him, and, and so he, he longed for it. He says they are his joy. There are a lot of things, um, if you look at Paul as a, a pastor here, there's a lot of things that brought him joy, and it was watching people, right? Those people in that church as they grew and as they were doing things. I, as a pastor, I find joy in watching people do things here within the church. I am amazed at point way and how many people are involved in things. I know we're always asking more people to get more involved because there are a lot of needs, but a lot of you are involved in things. And some of you step out of your comfort zone and do things that are not normal and or not things that you normally would do, but you try and you go ahead and do those. I think I saw some young man up here singing. I've never seen him sing up here before. Saw another family lighting candles. We had different people come up and do the Advent reading. Those aren't easy things sometimes. They're not comfortable, right? And there are many others that serve, whether it's cleaning the church or, or reaching out in missions. Those things bring a pastor joy, watching people grow in their giftedness, but just even trying to minister to the body as a whole. And so those things bring joy. And so Paul is saying the same thing here. And don't miss this here, but this is one of Paul's kind of catchwords. It's in Ephesians a lot, but it says also stand firm. Stand firm. Right? Stand firm. It's, uh, back in Ephesians, it's part of the armor, right? He talks about stand firm over and over, stand firm. What is he talking about? What does he want them to stand firm in? It's how my mind works. I always ask a question, right? And so any guesses? What would Paul be asking this church to stand firm in? What's that? Oh, I got multiple answers now. Say it again. Faith. Yeah, that would be one. And the Lord. Right. Jesus. And the Word. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, those are all good foundational things, right? And so standing firm in that and standing together, standing on God. Right? If you ever heard me speak on the, the armor of God, I always emphasize that standing firm. We stand firm on God Himself, His Word. That's what we stand on. We, everything else is just weak and crumbly and falls away. But God is the one that we can stand firm on. And so I believe Paul here is encouraging this church as well. Stand firm. Stand firm. Stand firm in your faith. Stand firm on the word. Don't get away from that. Again, they're, they're dear to him. Verse 2. 
I plead with Udiah and I plead with Sentia to be of the same mind in the Lord. Yes, I ask you, my true companion, help these women since they have contended on my side and in the cause of the gospel along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers whose names are in the book of life. So again, he's, he's talking here about some believers in the church and we have here these two ladies. I know this is hard to believe, but there are two ladies that were in disagreement. And again, they were inside the same, same group, and they were not getting along, and it was causing a hardship within the church. Remember, I told you that Jesus is the, the first part of it, while others is the next part of it, right? And these two ladies were a part of the others, and they weren't getting along. And it was evident to the whole church, and it was disruptive, now, I've been along, around long enough, and I've had to kind of settle some of these disputes. Usually what happens is when there's a fight going on with two ladies, it's not just those two ladies or two people. And believe me, it can be two men as well. I'm not picking on the ladies here. I'm going to get in trouble. I may not make it to the back door. But men will do it just as well. But sides get drawn, right? It becomes much bigger than just those two people. It tends to snowball, tends to get bigger, and it causes division. The other theme of Philippians is unity, right? And, and Paul is guarding against what he's saying. He's saying, hey, work this out. And if they need help, help them work this out. Is really what he's saying here. He said, these are people that have good testimonies. These are good people. They're, it's not over false teaching, but they're just not getting along and not working well together. And so Paul is calling for that unity because others matter as well. And just as much as Jesus is the, the first and foremost and the thing that we should focus on, others need to be next, right? How others are doing, how others are interacting. Just a, a bonus point here or a sub point, right? When others are, are, are not getting along, the quicker they can resolve that issue, the better it is for the body. Right? That's a bonus point. But if you see somebody struggling with somebody within our church body here at Pointway, don't waste any time. Get them together. Get them to resolve those issues. They need help. Bring along somebody else, but get them talking. Like I said, that cycle goes out pretty quick. All right, verse 4. We've only gotten through three verses, but don't worry. It picks up speed here a little bit. But So J is for? O is for? Others. All right. Say, so, wow, we only got Y left and we'd be all set, right? No. It's coming, and it takes a little bit more to unpack. Verse 4, rejoice in the Lord always, I say again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all, the Lord is near. A great way, Paul is starting this next section off, and he's starting with exhortations, right? Rejoice in the Lord, right? Be joyous in the Lord, sing his praises, right? That's what we do. That's why we do quite often these songs, right? Is to rejoice, to sing together, to thank him for all that he's done, right? Do it collectively, together. This is prescriptive as well. This helps. In fact, he says, he repeats it, right? In case you didn't catch it the first time, right? He says, rejoice, rejoice again. Then interestingly, the very next sentence that he says is, let your gentleness be evident to all, for the Lord is near. All right, this would harken back to further for other lessons that were in the past that he had taught, right, about the coming of Jesus. Right? 
the time is short. And so we need to be proactive, we need to be purposeful, we need to be focused on rejoicing and being thankful for what God has given us. And he says, be gentle, right? Gentleness. You laugh, but I picked up a book a few weeks ago, and the, the very title of it is Gentleness. It's not one that, it's been on my shelves for, for a long time, and, and again, I'm not recommending it yet because I haven't read all the way through it, but gentleness is not one of those words that we quite often think of, right? At least from a, a man's standpoint, it's not one of those, those words that, that kind of grab us or we think of it, right? Being gentle. We need that reminder because we certainly do need to be gentle. And in fact, the, the old English word was meek, and none of us would want as men to be known as being meek. But yet, we're called to be meek. Blessed are the meek, right? Gentleness is one of those fruits of the Spirit. And so, as that's unpacking that word, and, um, but it's talking about in relationships. Being gentle, right? Being gentle. Being gentle with each other. Being kind kind of goes with that. But, but how we handle and how we treat people with gentleness, it's not something we often characterize someone, but that's what the, the thought process here is, is handling carefully. And it says, let it be evident to all, right? So that, that would be something that people would see in you and say, ah, he's a gentle person. Next or, exhortation, next verse here comes up with the next thing to do, if you want to use that, the, the to-do list here, I, I would call it. It says, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, we use worry giving, present your requests to God. Some translations use worry. Anxious is, is part of that, right? It says, don't be anxious about anything, right? I don't know about you, but that's a hard one. That's a hard one to put into practice, right? And we can come up with all reasons, all excuses. I think if Paul was here today and fired the Holy Spirit, he'd say, no excuse, right? But it's hard, right? It's hard not to get anxious, hard not to, to start to fear or to think ahead and to, to get overwhelmed. And if we just left it at that point, do not be anxious. And I've gone to situations with people, and believe me, this doesn't work. If they're all keyed up and they're worried, and you say, hey, don't worry. God's word tells you, don't worry. It doesn't go well. People don't receive that well, do they? In fact, I, I even remember back, don't, don't even quote that verse at the time, because it, it's not helpful when someone's in the middle of it. But at a, another point, another point of time in teaching, Remind them of that verse, right? Or if they're an anxious person, are they by trait, right? But what does it leave us here to do next? What does it say next to do? It says, in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God, right? The long and the short of it is, take it to God. Pray about it. In fact, someone's coined the phrase, right? Why worry when you can pray? Easily said, not always easily put into practice. But that's the exhortation here, right? And, and not only just asking God to maybe get us out of the situation or to help me with my anxiety, but with thanksgiving. God, I know you've got a plan in this. I know you've got a way out of this. I know you've got this. 
and giving it up, giving up our will, right? And so this is part of that helping us to see that. And if we do this, here's the outcome. Look at the the next verse. It's the outcome of if we can do this correctly and in the right spirit. It says, verse 7, And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. I love this verse. It's a, it's a, a great promise to, if I can do this right, I'm going to have peace in a tough situation. And it's not going to make sense, right? It's, it's beyond all understanding. It's not going to make sense to those around us. Probably not even going to make sense to me, but I'm going to have a peace that is supernatural. It's going to help me to walk through whatever's next. Then it goes a little bit further, right? It says, it'll guard your heart in your minds, right? Because it needs protection, right? When we're, we're, we're vulnerable like that and we're in that, that, that area of coming out of a, a tough situation and we are giving up to God, we're vulnerable. Our hearts are open. And so we need it, it needs to be guarded, right? And I always think it, it, that garden is like a protection around us, right? Because we can become cynical, we can become discouraged. There's a lot of other things that can happen when we're in that place. But with God's peace, we can stand firm. We can walk through that in Christ Jesus. And only with him can we do that, right? So there's a lot here that's going on. And again, this is a lot for us as individuals, right? And if Jesus is first, others is second, then there is you. You are in this mix, right? You are in these passages. God speaks to you and and me as well. Then he gives us a little bit more, right? Again, if you can go through that part, but maybe you're not there. Maybe you're not anxious right now. Maybe you're in pretty good shape, but you're struggling in another area. He gives us a few more verses here to help us in this area. Verse 8, it says, Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. And I, th- I think this is, these go together, right? It's not disjointed. I, mean, I broke them up, but in a way, these all go together. It's all part of that guarding our minds and our hearts, right? Part of it he's talking to is the mind here, right? He's starting off with that. He says, you know, think about these things. And so he gives us this list. Because if we're honest, most of the time our problem starts with our minds, right? Inside of our own, at least in me, it starts in my own head. That's when I get into trouble. If I'm thinking too much or, or not thinking enough, one of the, either way I can get into trouble. But it starts with our mind. And so he's reminding us to help us through these times is to be thinking about the right things, whatever is true. You know, what, what is true? What is, what is truth? God's word? God, God is truth, right? But God's word is truth. That's truth. You can rely on that. You can go back to that. Back to God's word. It's a great point to, to reference, right? If I get a situation and I don't know what to do, go back to God's word. And if you need help on knowing where to go, you know, you can check with someone. You can ask them. 
Or you can just pray about, God, lead me to the scripture that I need for right now. But that's truth, right? That's the truth that's going to help us. That's going to help us through the situation. But it's also going to help us to determine what's right and what's wrong. These next ones are a little bit different. It says, what is noble, right? Whatever is right. Again, sometimes we have to go back and look through our life. What have been the right things that have happened? When have been those times when, when I've been spot on and I've been doing what is right? It's a thought here, right? Whatever is pure, right? What is pure, right? What is good? What is clean? What is void? Dare I say it? What is absent of sin, right? Those pure things. Whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, right? Those things aren't wrong to look back and say, hey, I, I admire that. I admire that, that time in my life. I was doing some good things. And, and think back on those. Sometimes that helps us to go forward or to put it in perspective. If anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Uh, again, that mind, thinking about those things, focusing on that will help us pull us out of those pits and those times when we're running through that valley and we, we need to get above it and kind of get back on plane at least. And then Paul does something here really bold. Really, I think so. I think this is, I admire Paul for this. He, he jumps out and he says, hey, whatever you've learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice. To me, that's a, a daunting task. That's awful. That's courageous in many ways to say, hey, I'm going to be, if you've seen some good things in me, if you see me, some mistakes, you put them into practice, right? If you see me make some mistakes and things that are not right, the transverse is don't do those things. It's often said to, to, to young men that I've been discipling, learn from my mistakes, right? You'll make your own, but learn from my mistakes at least, Right? Don't fall into the same pitfall, right? Don't go through that. You don't have to go through that. But have you seen some good things? Put them into practice. Pastors are notorious. We, we steal things from other pastors or other conferences or other leaders. We do. We, we steal all the time. I will just, I'll confess that right here this morning. A lot of it is because there's not a lot of original stuff anymore, right? Nothing new under the sun. But if we see something good or we see a leader that has a a good message or a good teaching or a good practice, we want to use it, right? And say, hey, I want to put that into practice. And so Paul said the same thing here. Hey, I'm an example. I'm putting myself out there. If you've seen anything good, follow me. And then lastly, he says, hey, and the God of peace be with you. Joy and peace work very well together. They're very co-equal, right? If you have joy, you're going to most likely be at peace. In fact, I think back to these two dear sisters, right? They're not at peace. They're fighting. They're squabbling. They're not getting along. There's no peace between them. Peace is a byproduct of joy. And keeping that in mind, right? Keeping that order. Jesus, others, and then you. So many times, like I said, people get that out of order and it just doesn't work well. Right? In fact, I think if you really if you focus on Jesus first, others will become more prominent anyways. And then you tend to slide down a little bit. 
our culture, our world devalues other people. And again, it wants to elevate you. You are the, the reason. You are the purpose for everything, right? You've heard that. The world revolves around me. Yeah, no. That's incorrect. Wrong thinking. And so when we put that order, we will be at peace and we will have joy. Lastly here, Paul, writing about a particular situation, but again, it illustrates that Paul has the right order here. And he says, I rejoice greatly in the Lord that you at last renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. Right? Paul's saying, hey, the relationship is, is back in its right order. You're focused on yourself, but now you're, you're reaching out to me. I'm, I'm, that, I'm that other person, working it back into the right order again. It says in verse 11, it says, I'm not saying this because I'm in need, for I've learned to be content whatever the circumstances I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all things through him who strengthens, who gives me strength. I slide back to an old version of mine, but, right? That he's the one that gives him strength, right? That being content, Content in your circumstances. The reason I added that on there, because that is part of that joy as well. Right? If we're not content, we're not at peace, we don't have joy, we're out of sorts. We're not operating as God wants us to operate. And we struggle. We struggle with that. We struggle in our walk, we struggle in our relationships. We struggle to find that peace. We tend to worry. We tend to be anxious. We tend to be out of relationship with other folks. Those are all some of the byproducts that happen if we don't have things in the correct order. So, simple message, simple exhortation for you this morning, but there's a lot in there, and I encourage you to go back and look at it again. But J is for, and he's first. Then, O, others, and why? You, right? Not forgetting you, because you are important, but not the most important. Bow with me, please. Dear Heavenly Father, I, I sense that there are some folks here this morning that have lost their joy. And Lord, we just ask that you would restore them that this message would speak to their hearts and their minds, that they would be encouraged, that they would be lifted up. Lord, help us not to forget those times when we get things out of order. And Lord, may you be first in our lives, not only on Sunday, but Monday through Saturday as well. We make you first in everything. Lord, as it's a season of giving, Lord, may we think of others, even above ourselves, and that we put their needs and their concerns and them ahead of us. 
Lord, we are thankful that you have chosen us, that you've saved us. As Joe mentioned this morning, that you've used us and continue to use us if we are willing. Continue to watch over us, guard our hearts and our minds, Lord, from those things that would harm us or destroy us or take us away. Lord, we love you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.